is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles, learning more about the Omicron variant, even though it is still fairly new, but there's still a lot we don't know, like how long it's really been here. Will the vaccines protect us? We're looking for answers, and maybe Dr. Michael Osterholm has them. We'll hear from him in just a bit. Inflation seems to be getting worse. We'll get into whether the pandemic is completely to blame. We start with Dr. Osterholm and Omicron. He's the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota, also a member of the president's transition team, the COVID Advisory Board. Uh, Doctor, if you had to summarize what we know now about Omicron, how would you characterize the prospects of the U.S. in the coming winter months? It's going to be a challenge. It's just straightforward and simple. It's going to be a challenge. The whole world is challenged, so it's not just unique to the United States, but it's going to be a challenge. We still are dealing with the Delta surge, which for many parts of the country is a very, very serious situation. Kind of draw a line from the Four Corners uh, area up through the Great Plains, across the northern tier of states going eastward, and now we're seeing uh, the case numbers increase substantially in the states no longer just in the northern tier, but all the way down into the mid-Atlantic area. Uh, We are going to continue to see a real challenge with with Delta. We've had over a 25% increase in cases in the last 14 days, and uh, the number of hospitalizations and deaths are also uh, growing again. Now add in uh, what we have with Omicron, and I think we surely are going to have some uh, some real challenges ahead. Now, are those challenges still majority with the unvaccinated, or are we going to have a challenge with the vaccinated people? Well, let's just be real clear in terms of the Delta situation. This is still largely an unvaccinated population problem. In most hospitals around the country that are now really in severely challenged uh, to the point of where they're no longer just talking about bending, they're breaking. Most of those cases that are in the intensive care units are unvaccinated individuals. You noted that uh, 70% of adults are vaccinated. Only 60% of those, including kids today in this country, are are, are vaccinated. And when you look what's happening around the world with Delta, take Europe, for example, we have a number of countries there that are in the 80% plus level of vaccination, and they are seeing serious challenges right now. So Delta is going to continue to be a challenge. You know, I've said this, and I know this is not necessarily popular, but uh, we can't always explain why in many instances, cases, the surges begin, why they end or why they don't exist in some locations. I still believe that Southern California is primed for a major surge in the days ahead. Um, so that's Delta. Now, in terms of Omicron. Wait, 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 stop there. Why do you think Southern California is primed for a surge in the days ahead? Because you have a lot of unvaccinated people there yet, a lot. And the fact that it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. You know, if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me over the past summer that we just have to be like Denmark, you know, they finally have this down. They're about 80% vaccination levels and they're letting up all on all their mitigation recommendations and they're doing just fine. Denmark's in a lot of trouble right now. Uh, with this most recent surge, we're seeing major increase in hospitalizations, cases, and deaths. And uh, it's going to happen in Southern California. Uh, you know, people can say it won't. They don't want to hear this, but it's going to. I'm very concerned about what's going to happen over the next three to seven weeks in New York City. Uh, that metropolitan area, too, has substantial pockets of undervaccinated people, far in excess of what we're seeing in Europe, where they're in trouble, and they're even much more vaccinated than we are. 
I think there are a lot of people here, uh, and I've heard some of these people have a very kind of cocky attitude. They say, well, so many of us are vaccinated and things are just great in Southern California. And right now, uh, you know, we don't know anybody who's got COVID. So we're probably out of the woods. But you're saying that that we're far from that. Yes. And in fact, many of those conclusions are correct. If you're fully vaccinated, uh, including your booster, that's great news. Uh, Right now, the incidence of COVID is very low in Southern California. But as I pointed out, uh, why the surges start and stop, we don't know. We know that the height or the the number of cases in a surge can surely be impacted by the level of vaccination. But when you look at the levels of vaccination in Southern California, you know, they're lower, substantially lower than right now we're seeing in parts of the country where there is serious challenges. Uh, Last week, Vermont, the state with the highest level of vaccination in the entire country, set an all-time new record for the number of persons hospitalized with COVID. Many of those were unvaccinated individuals. And as I've said time and time again, many people think they can run out the clock on this virus. They think that, you know, I haven't been infected yet in 18 months. I'm not going to. That's simply not the case. You can't outrun the clock. This virus will find you if you're not protected through vaccination or from having previously had infection with immunity, then you're really putting your life at, at risk right now please get vaccinated. Well, it's kind of like the early discussions we had with Delta before we went through the summer and maybe a lot of people kind of forgot about it or they just are done with the pandemic, right? Because that line was said by a lot of medical experts saying, you know what, maybe you avoided uh, the first couple variants of this and uh, COVID-1 was was no big deal for you, but Delta will find you if you're unvaccinated and maybe Omicron will find you too, even if maybe it's, it's more mild, but then if you're an unvaccinated person, who knows if that's going to hold. Yeah, exactly. You said it very well. Uh, At this point, it's too early for us to determine uh, just exactly what the impact will be of Omicron in terms of the number of serious illnesses. We know that it is much more infectious than Delta, which was much more infectious than the variant before that called Alpha, which was much more infectious than the we call ancestral uh, variants that came out of Wuhan. So we're right now dealing with the kind of the king of the virus transmission hill. Um, what we don't know is, will that number of people who are likely to get infected then mean that even if a higher proportion of the individuals uh, have mild or moderate illness, there will still be more overall of people with serious illness, those who are older, those who have underlying immune conditions, those who are not vaccinated. Uh, what does that mean? And we're still trying to understand that. And so the one way to address it, whether or not it is going to be a problem or not, Please get vaccinated. How do you respond to people who are not vaccinated, but who follow the news and say, well, wait a minute, I hear about these two new pills that are going to be on the market probably pretty soon. And of course, we're talking about both the uh, Merck and the Pfizer antiviral pills. So uh, if I get COVID, I'll just have my doctor give me a prescription. I'll run down to the pharmacy. I'll pop some pills for a week and I'll be good as new. Well, I can understand why someone might say that. But let's just back up and, uh, first of all, understand that uh, these pills are not going to be magic. Uh, At least one of the uh, pills from the Merck company, uh, the subsequent data that came out in the final study showed that it was much, much less protective than uh, we thought from keeping you from getting serious illness and hospitalizations. It also is one that is likely only to be used in those who are older. Uh, We have one more. It'll be coming down the pike. 
And this is, again, a situation, though, where you have to start taking the medication very early into your uh, illness. Uh, you have to be found to be positive, which is going to take time in many locations before you can get put on these drugs. Wouldn't it be much better if, in fact, you tried to protect yourself uh, day in and day out without having to worry about, will I have access to these drugs? What will it mean uh, they're not perfect? They're surely not going to mean that everyone who takes them will, in fact, not have a serious illness. So, you know, it's an important tool. We're definitely going to want to use it as best we can, but it's not the answer. I had somebody say to me the other day, why with Omicron are so many vaccinated people testing positive? That seems to be what we hear about. And then isolating in mild cases so far, which is probably a good thing. Um, but why the vaccinated and not hearing about the unvaccinated? Is it the separate groups are more likely to get a test one versus the other? Well, at this point, because it's so involved with international travel, many of the people who have been involved have been vaccinated just by the very nature of they were doing the traveling. Now, we're trying to understand in South Africa where the number of vaccinated is much lower. However, because of their previous experience with COVID, they have many, many more people who are already um, protected in a certain degree uh, with immunity from having had infection. And there we're seeing, even among those who have previously had uh, COVID, a, a large proportion of having breakthroughs, infections. Now, the good news is, and this is why, again, getting vaccinated addresses not only Delta, but it also addresses Omicron, is the fact that uh, these illnesses tend to be much milder. Uh, at this point, uh, you know, I'll take uh, any day a mild illness that doesn't pose a risk uh, in terms of, uh, you know, my outcome versus one of serious disease, hospitalizations and deaths by just merely getting a vaccine. So even if the vaccines that we have now don't protect you from getting infected with Omicron, the key message is it very will likely will protect you from serious disease in most cases. So, you know, people ask, and I'm sure you're tired of the question, when will this pandemic finally be over? Any way to predict that? You know, I don't know. You know, last April and May, uh, you know, I at that point uh, said uh, publicly that I thought some of the darkest days of the pandemic were still yet ahead of us. That was not a very popular comment. Uh, people didn't want to hear it. They believed that it was merely scaremongering. And you can look at what's happened since then and understand that. Uh, you know, so for going forward, I'll have to say that we still have large segments of the world who have not been vaccinated, who are, have not yet had COVID. And in that uh, situation, we're going to continue to see uh, widespread transmission with serious illness in parts of the world that uh, uh, that are going to be important. Why are they important? Well, they're important, of course, to the people there in that country. But also remember where these variants come from. They come from places where you have lots of virus transmission, where people then being infected experience these mutations that occur, which then give us new variants like Delta, which came from India, or Omicron, which came from Southern Africa. So at this point, uh, we don't know what the next variant is going to be. You know, I say uh, uh, somewhat jokingly, but with some seriousness that I wake up every morning here in the old 1960s fifth dimension tune. This is the dawn into the age of Aquarius, <laughs> except I keep hearing this is the dawn of the age of the variants. Mm. And I think as long as variants are part of this picture, we're going to have challenges. Dr. Michael Osterholm, director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, University of Minnesota. Doc, thanks. Coming up after a short break, is the pandemic blowing up inflation? 
Inflation is a growing problem that's impacting the lives of most Americans. Consumer prices in the U.S. jumped nearly 7% last month compared with November 2020. Now, that is the highest annual inflation rate since 1982. Everything's costing more. Food, gas, housing, travel. Heather Long is the economic and financial columnist at the Washington Post. Uh, Heather, a whole generation or two of people who haven't experienced this kind of inflation. That's absolutely right. I'm one of those people. I was born in 1982, and we currently have the highest inflation since 1982. My my condolences. (laughs) So how's it going for you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, like everybody else, I I think... uh, this is why people are, are feeling the sticker shock. And I think what we learned from this latest set of data in November, you know, the story earlier in the spring and the summer was, oh, it was those used car prices. Then it was the couches and the washing machines. But it's just becoming more and more broad based. Gas prices, one of the biggest factors in driving uh, that rec- uh, very high inflation in November. But followed closely by one I think we don't talk enough about, and that is rent prices going up. Uh, rent price is now growing at about 5% annual basis. And we haven't seen that kind of growth since the early 1990s. So it's more than just the story of those goods that are you know, slow to come across from China, uh, like the used cars and microchips. Yeah. And no matter how much of a raise you got, you're probably not getting giant raises, at least uh, for most people. So by the time you do rent and then gas to get to work and then, hey, you got health insurance premiums, then whatever, you know, your employer is paying you more to keep you on if they are, because a lot of places are kind of rising the pay to attract more workers. Well, that's all a wash. Yeah, that's right. It's it's if you really dig into the data, I'm kind of a data nerd. I, I would it's about 75% of Americans where the wage is not keeping up with inflation. You do have some circumstances in the lowest paid jobs where we are seeing uh, a good bit of wage growth that's sort of right about keeping up with inflation. But these people who are working these 10, 11, 12 dollar an hour jobs are obviously already stretched. It's not like they have a ton of extra money. Um, and, you know, I've heard some funny things on Twitter and from various friends who are like, oh, it's OK. You can just not eat meat. You know, all these <laughs> meat prices are up, beefs up like 25 percent, pork and bacon up about 20 percent, chicken, 9 percent, fish, 11 percent. But the reality is this is just getting so widespread that even if you go vegetarian, uh, peanut butter is now up almost as much, and eggs. And oh, so not peanut butter. Well, it's the yeah, old gripe sort of against it's peanut butter. Everyone used to come after the millennials saying, you know, if you didn't do your Starbucks and your avocado toast, well, you'd be rich. Well, no, I have to pay rent, so <laughs> it's not the toast. Which, which by the way, Heather, brings brings it, that, thanks for mentioning that, uh, Mike, brings us back to the rent question, because I think people may be puzzled, I know I am, why rent? Uh, is it because landlords are saying, that they're paying more money for certain things and they need to pass it on to their uh, tenants? Or is it that landlords are exploiting an already bad situation? Uh, A little bit of all the above. I'd say there's three key drivers. Number one is those housing prices are going up. And so, um, you know, for people who are renting out homes or who argue that the upkeep of a house, you know, is going up or they could sell it instead of renting it and make a lot more money. Uh, you know, I think the second factor um, it is a little bit more what you describe. People are taking advantage a little bit of the situation to, to rise prices, raise prices. But the third one that probably doesn't get talked about enough, and this was really a light bulb moment for me in recent months to learn about this, 
for the first time in U.S. history, you basically have three generations renting. So it's not just the youngest folks, the Gen Z folks in their 20s. We still have a lot of millennials who are renting uh, in their 30s because they're getting married and having kids later and they can't afford. They haven't been able to save up enough to afford these higher uh, home prices. And the other thing we're seeing is baby boomers who are selling their homes and downsizing by going to rentals now. So we sort of have a, a, basically a constrained supply. We haven't built any new houses or rental units, very few during the pandemic. And now we have even more people trying to rent because they can't afford to buy. So they're changing their life. So is there a big market now for huts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, you joke about it, but obviously a lot of what's different today versus, say, five, six years ago, you know, everybody always complains the rent is too darn high, is it used to be, you know, the Los Angeleses and the New York Cities and the San Francisco's of the world that were really driving the rent prices. That is not the case this year. It's like the total reverse. It's all those cities that used to be seen as vacation destinations or cheaper places to live or have a second home, places like Phoenix or Boise, Idaho or Spokane, Washington. You know, that's really the places that have seen the biggest rent increases. So where do you go? If you've already fled New York and LA and San Fran, you got a much more limited pool now that these other places are rising as well. Heather Long, economic and financial columnist at the Washington Post. Remember the flu? It might be making a comeback. The Walgreens flu index reports flu activity was 335% higher nationwide as of December 4th compared with last season during the same period. If you remember last year, fears of a twindemic, COVID and the flu, never materialized. But this year, flu cases and the number of people in the hospital, they have been going up. The number of people in the hospital because of the flu isn't anywhere near the number of COVID patients. But health officials say hospitals cannot handle any extra stress. The ostrich might be able to help us. Researchers in Japan have developed masks that use ostrich antibodies to detect COVID by glowing under ultraviolet light. They got the idea based on previous research showing the birds have strong resistance to the disease. People wore the masks after eight hours. The filters were removed and sprayed with a chemical that glows under ultraviolet lights if the virus is there. The filters worn by people infected glowed around the nose and the mouth. The team hopes to further develop the masks so they will glow automatically without the special lights if the virus is detected. Could provide for low-cost testing at home. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.